Hey, at least I'm not bruised this time. Welcome to the Breadcrumbs Trail podcast. I'm Amy. I'm Carol. And I'm Gina. Before we continue this episode, I wanted to take a moment to plug our social media. You can find all of our social media links at linktree slash podcast. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash podcast. If you like the content we put out, you can also now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash trailblazermedia. That's patreon.com slash trailblazermedia. Go check it out if you like the content we put out and consider supporting us. Now, let's get you back to the episode. We've had a lot of information from Brian over the last few episodes. It's been quite an info dump, which is why the episode, the entire interview was broken up into three different episodes. We hope you guys enjoyed that. We wanted to not overload you guys and allow you guys to assimilate the information as best you could. And we have our discussion portion with this episode, and we're going to be talking about things that we chatted with Brian, you know, things that we picked up, things that we learned, as per usual with our discussion roundtable episodes. Who wants to start this shebang? Hey, Carol, how was it for you to learn how the schooling system is different compared to here? Uh, it actually, I feel like for a country that is known to be advanced and ahead of Canada in terms of technology, in terms of environmentalism, in terms of etiquette, and of course in terms of education, I kind of found that their care of students with disabilities, learning disabilities for example, mental health problems, I felt like that was behind and that really surprised me. Yeah, I found it interesting how they have different levels. I found it actually kind of disheartening in a way because hearing about it because it does remind me of my childhood quite a bit where if you tell a parent hey your kid might be a special needs kid you know they're totally in denial they don't want to hear it they don't want to hear a diagnosis even if it would help their child they just don't want to deal with that embarrassment in a way also there was that mention of the greater good. Uh, what was that term again? You're just a cog in the machine? Yeah, yeah. He had a specific term for it. Was it, it wasn't the Voltron comment, was it? No, it wasn't. No, it was that one that's like, you're a cog in the machine, everything's for the greater good. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of what that term was. I think the thing that struck me the most was the amount of pressure that's placed on kids in the education system in Japan. That's a lot of stress. And not just that, but you've got it at what, grade six, grade nine, and then you've got it at grade 12. And you've got one shot. I think we hashed this in our last, hashed this out in our last discussion episode. Was that you've got one shot. And if you mess up, if you fuck it up, that's it. It's game over. You're screwed. That's your family's honor that just got poo-pooed down the drain kind of deal, right? Yeah, like, screw family honor for a minute. That's your life as well that you don't get a second shot at. And, I mean, if you look at all three of us present here, we've all used second shots. Mm-hmm. Like, me, I, um, I remember getting into college and... My mom was ashamed of me for getting into college instead of university. And when I was accepted into university, oh man, she was like, oh my god, this is the second chance that you don't deserve, that you need, and you need to take it. 
and you need to run with it. I didn't run with it, and oh man, it was like I had taken my brother and slashed him across the throat in front of her. It was like, whoo, bad news, man. But your mom also still holds you at a high expectation, right? She's still in the old ways versus the new ways. Yeah, yeah, and that's what surprised me about Japan especially was that for a country that is always on the cutting edge of technology, always trying to be on the cutting edge of everything else, they're still holding on to the old ways about that. You look at the way things are in the education system in Japan, and then you look at the way things are here in North America. Like here in North America, we're a lot more relaxed when it comes to education. We have a lot more, I guess, help and resources for individuals. And we, we tend to understand that it might not be everybody's cup of tea or, you know, people might have to wait a little bit, such as myself. I didn't go back to university until I was, what, 32? I'm four years in now, so I didn't go back to university until I was 32. And in, if I had been living in Japan, that wouldn't, that wouldn't have been a thing. I would have had to go straight out of high school. And if I didn't get it, like, I'm screwed. I think that there's way too much stress placed on kids uh, in Japan, which is something I'm not a fan of. But then again, there is the option as expensive it is, as it is of going, if you if you grow up in Japan, there is also the option of going outside of Japan for an education, coming to North America, going to school, but that also tacks on the added stress of having to learn a new language. Right. Don't forget, you're a child in all of this, and so you have been ingrained that this is your one chance, that failure is not an option, ever. Yep. And that crushes you, that follows you, because that is always going to be on your mind, that failure is not an option. They're not allowed to fail, they're not allowed to fall, and I think that doesn't just apply to the kids, I think it applies to adults as well, which is why they have such a high suicide rate. Yep. But it makes me wonder, okay, so what ingrained it into their, like, what started all this that you have to hold them at such a high, high level of education or priority of, I need to do the best or the best is the only thing, right? Where did that start from? You know, I think we need to look at history in that and saying, okay, how did this all come about that we need to be at this level and nothing but the best? I honestly don't know where that came from. I'd have to I'd have to take a look back through history books and whatnot to see if we could pin that down. I honestly don't know if there's any record of that anywhere. I haven't heard of anything like that. It's just been the way that Japan is. Right. I think it's actually the way Asia is. You know what? That's a fair point. Right? Mm-hmm. But it still makes you wonder of okay, what actually started all this? I don't know. As far as I as far as I'm aware, like in my knowledge of the, it, it's more just it's the way it's always been in, in that in that area of the world. But it makes you wonder, though, right? I, I'm always curious. Of, oh, so we have our standards. You know, Carol, your mom's had a standard for you where you need to be in the university versus college, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a standard automatically right away. My standard in my family was to get past grade eight because my dad didn't get past grade eight. You know, he did have to test himself and get his GED through online. But that, again, he was raised in that era where you were the man, you needed to help with farming. That was your job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of intriguing to see the different standards that different cultures have. And it always intrigues me of how did this standard come about? Well, even here in North America, we had something kind of similar at one point. Even now for farmers, you know, a farmer's work is from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. Right. That's kind of a little thing. It, having grown up in a farming family, like my maternal grand, my maternal grand side grand uh, grandfather 
he was a farmer for all of his life and that was a phrase that was fairly common in their house is that you know the farmer gets up at the crack of dawn does the stuff goes to bed when the sun goes down to get up and repeat it all over again meanwhile you know the farmer's out in the out in the field working the physically intensive stuff whereas the woman's home minding the kids cooking cleaning and she doesn't go to bed until well after the farmer and then she gets up before the farmer wakes up to do breakfast and all of that jazz and to make sure he's got his meals and everything right like yeah it's interesting how this came about throughout the whole era and like i said different times different areas asia has their own standards we have our own standards i'm sure south america has their own standards as well right like it's intriguing and to see again going tying back into japan and how their education is so high right yeah i think like what i kind of think a layer of the situation might be competition yeah there's that thought too like the kids they're seen as a fruit or a chicken that you grow and that chicken is your life's work and proof of your worth as a parent if that chicken is like me and you know has a wing broken or has a few screws loose it reflects badly on the parent (laughs) or the person trying to raise the chicken (laughs) so i have a couple of questions first of all you can grow chickens Apparently. And second of all, why do the chickens have loose screws? Are they mechanical chickens? Yeah, they do have mechanical chickens out there. (laughs) Oh my god, Carol. But again, it brings back that question of which came first, chicken or the egg, right? Actually, technically, the that, that, that question has been answered. The egg came first. There was a point where something that wasn't a chicken laid an egg and a chicken came out. Okay, it's supposed to be a rhetorical question, Gina. Too bad. But it, that question has been answered. I know, but fine, you win. <laughs> I think we have too much fun doing this shit. Yup. Yeah, I think at some point they kind of got a little carried away with the with the chicken raising. But again, they also have a high like again, their standards are different than our standards, right? So it's intriguing to me. You know, I think it's like it comes down to honor in a way of wanting to uphold, you know, that, you know, you're representing your family, you're representing your country, you're representing yourself, and you're above all representing your parents. And I think that they want to, in a way, you know, they're kind of ingrained that we got to be the best, we got to stand out, and it just crushes them when they just can't live up to that standard. It's like I put out in my documentary for Anth 398 the first video I ever made the first anthropological video that I ever made was that you know honor is seen as an immutable thing and to violate that honor is one of the highest offenses you bring dishonor to your not only yourself but your family and possibly your country on top of that and then there's some sort of act of penance that has to be made for that what that act of penance is you know is I guess determined by society or by the courts but there is going to have to be some sort of trade-off there once that honor has been violated right and that's completely 100% understandable right like it's, you just kind of go huh okay how am i going to justify this or how am i going to fix it mm-hmm. so what else did we find interesting about uh, about brian's interview he's just an interesting man in general dude's had a lot of experiences oh yeah 
he has and just the way he's you know bringing some of his teachings from there back here right what was that one that he always said harmony living in harmony mm-hmm. he actually said he didn't like the concept of why he understood it but he didn't like it if i recall correctly that's a term that i was looking for earlier why me on the other hand I, I tend to take a bit of a, a bit of a different approach. Like I actually kind of enjoy that because I don't think as North Americans we have we need a little more wah in our life, I think, a little more harmony in our life. We need to understand that there are other people around us. We need to not be so self-centered. We need to realize that other people do exist and that some of the shit that we do ends up impacting other people. And it affects our lives and how we do things. You know, you may have to make a decision A versus B. Whether you decide one or the other, depending what happens, is the consequences you have to deal with, right? Yeah, I think so the whole concept of why is that you don't cause inconvenience to other people, even if that is an inconvenience to yourself. You take on that inconvenience yourself to spare other people from having to deal with that. You go out of your way to make things easier for other people, not more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think what Brian, the reason why Brian doesn't like that is that there's always that clear rule. Too much of a good thing is not necessarily good. And if you're basically, it comes, it ends up that in order to maintain the wah, you're sacrificing yourself. Sometimes we should be a little bit selfish. But I don't think there's anything. Thing, I don't think there is such a thing as inherently unselfish in this world. doesn't matter why you're doing something, there is always some sort of selfish reason for that. In this case, the selfish aspect of that would be wanting to please other people because that makes you feel good or because that's the way society deems it and you want to toe the line, you don't want to stand out. Following the law in that case would be the not wanting to stand out. Like the, the selfish reason in that case would be not wanting to stand out because that makes you happy or something along those lines. Right. I get where you're coming from. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of things that I take issue with when it comes to Japanese culture. I think there are certain things that could be done a lot better. I think there are certain things that could be done differently. But at the same time, I also think that they have a lot of good things that they that they do and that they've developed uh, culturally and that we could look at incorporating. I always try to find a way that no matter where I am or no matter what I'm looking at, like. I will say this, I'm not religious. I don't ever consider myself religious. I've taken a few things from different religions, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's spirituality, you know, different things that I thought, oh, that's interesting. I want to incorporate that in my life. Maybe we need to be incorporating things that, you know, having, I can't even, I'm not even going to be able to say the word wa. Mm-hmm. W-A, wa. You know, incorporating wa in our lives, having our own harmony, you know, maybe that's something we need to deal with to cause less stress on ourselves, you know, just to, to make sure, like, I always know, and this is something, I, this is a general rule I always do when I work at the hospital is if I'm on an elevator and it stops on a floor and there's EMS with a patient, I will literally get off the elevator and let them on and I will catch the next one. Well, in, in that matter, in that instance, that's a matter of life and death. Like, why wouldn't you? Well, yeah. Then again, you've also got idiots over here that will rush through an intersection as an ambulance is coming through because they don't want to wait for the ambulance because it inconveniences them. I've seen ambulances almost T-bone cars because of that. Jesus Christ on a cracker. Oh, big time, no respect. I have seen ambulances tear through intersections. The cars don't want to wait. They've got a green light. They floor the pedal. And yeah, I've seen ambulances come 
that close to T-boning cars because the car didn't want weight. Oof. It's because, like you said, people are dumb. It inconveniences them, so they don't want to deal with it, right? Yeah, and also, I mean, as it, as I said, too much of a good thing, you know, can sometimes be bad. We have the total opposite of the spectrum. We have the Karens, who's too entitled and too selfish. They definitely need a lot of wah. Yeah, but you have to also wonder, too, was that how they were raised? Mm-hmm. Like, it always goes back to how was a person raised? I know I was raised as, okay, I need to, um, you know, one of the good things I've always done is I know how to work my ass off. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've, I've done it. Carol, you know my work ethic. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just, I try to make sure that I know what the hell I'm doing. So what did you guys think of Brian's breakdown of the interview uh, for Jet, of the application process? That was really interesting. Mm-hmm. He seemed like he had, you know, a lot of, you know, he kind of had an idea of what he was going into, but he didn't know for sure. And I think from my understanding, from learning from or from hearing his experience, that he wants to, anyone that gets a chance to go through the JET program, he wants to help out as much as I can and prepare them as much as he can. Versus, you know, hey, Gina, you want to do it? Go for it yourself. I'm not telling you anything. Yeah. Yeah, here's the website. What were your thoughts, Carol? I've met a few, I've met one friend who went through the Interact program. I also knew one friend who did it privately. And his process, it's probably the fact that I was able to interview him and hear a lot more of it, but his process seemed better explained. Uh, both Interact and Jet did need a, did need an interview, but his just seemed more the steps were more concrete and more, you know, more clear cut. Yeah. So, since he's gone through, when I go to apply, their process is now all online from what I hear, except for the interview, I believe. Or, I mean, in the in the face of the current pandemic, the interview is... Uh, I think the interview might be online or they might be putting off the interviews, but their intake and whatnot and their application process, that's all online now. You don't actually go until you go in for the interview, in which case you go to the Japanese consulate, which is in Calgary, for the for the interview portion of that. So when, I, when I'm ready to go, that's where I'll be going. And you're going to be damn sure I'm documenting that entire process. Not the interview itself, but like the, the journey and the travel, because I mean, that's going to be a huge thing for me. That's why I went back to school first place in 2016 was to get into the jet program so if i end up getting into if i end up getting in the getting an interview like i'm going to be documenting that entire thing because that's a massive point in my life well and you may have a different experience than what brian had right like everyone has different experiences it's just like i said so brian taught in english now and then a friend of mine taught in the 70s in japan so they would have two different points of views as well I do still want to get those two on an episode together and contrast and compare and see what the, what it what it's like for both what it was like for both of them, and kind of take a look at the differences between then and now. Kind of do a before and after snapshot. Yeah, that would be intriguing to see. You know what is actual what happened, right? We'd be interviewing somebody who you know was teaching in Jet thirty years after it was thirty or forty years after it was developed, and then we'd be talking to somebody who was there around the time where Jet was actually formed or just before. Like that is huge. That is really huge. So what else did we pick up from Brian? Um, his his quote on "It's okay to be a total geek. It's okay to be a total nerd. Just still function." Yeah, so, it, it, you know, 
the secret is everybody who applies for Jet is either a nerd or crazy, was the quote. And then he followed that up by saying something about most people being nerds, but you needing to be an adult, you need to be enough of an adult to be able to hide it. They know that you're a nerd. They know that they know why you're a nerd, most likely. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a vested interest in going to teach English in Japan for a year uh, for a year contract at a time. But being able to hide that enough to understand that this is a serious thing, that this is a job application, and that you are there to further the education of other individuals, and then bring what you have learned about the culture back to the rest of the world, which is kind of what I want to do, is huge. You need to understand that there is a time and a place for everything, and going full out Ooh, ooh, what's this? During an interview is not the way to do things. Right. And I think that's where in the process of the interviews that they eliminate a lot of, as some would say, wannabes. Just want to go there for a free vacation and not have to do actual work. Yeah. Which is something else that he actually brought up was there are you get out of jet what you put into it. He developed a phonics program, for instance. You know, he went and actually tried to help the student. Mm-hmm. But he said there were, he did have colleagues who were looking at it as a free vacation and they didn't really see a lot of, they didn't really get a lot out of it. That's because they didn't put a lot into it. You have to work at it and you have to know what you're going for. You're not there just to go to Japan. You are there to help educate, to help bring things back to the rest, bring stuff back to the rest of the world. You are there, in my case, documenting everything, documenting your experiences. I am what they consider an academic weeb. Weeb is short for weeaboo, which is basically a huge, huge, huge anime and manga fan. And we are most times obsessive about it. I am obsessive in the academic standpoint. I want to know all about the culture, the history, the subcultures, why they do things the way that they do. That is, that's my thing. But again, it's not going to be a free vacation. I'm going to probably be working not only the teaching job while I'm there, but the content creation job as well. I'm going to be working two full-time jobs, which, I'm, yeah, that's going to be burnout, but it's going to be absolutely epic when I'm done because I have so much footage. Well, and that's the other thing, right? You're putting into it, of, of, you know, you want to document your experience. Yeah, there's other ways to document this, but, you know, it, in the long run, it's going to help people. It's going to help people that want to do it that want to be part of it, want to experience it and go, hey, how can I experience this the same way that she did? How can I, you know, or how how can I experience what Brian experienced? I want to show off the entire process and I want to encourage other people to broaden their horizons. Again, part of the founding reason of this podcast, part of the founding reason of me doing content creation. I want to bring people in. I want them to enjoy that experience and I want to draw them in. And I want to do that through video. It's why I consider myself an anthropological journalist. I, you know, the anthrop the anthropology side of things, but I, I document it or I tell about it in such a way that the average Joe walking down the street can understand and actually get into it. Yeah. And I've had quite a few people that I've got to listen to our podcast that are from the States and they go, you guys really have that program there? What the hell are we missing? Kind of deal. Well, at the same time, the U.S. has the Interact program, which even though they may or may not end up going to Japan, they might end up in a country that is just as rewarding. My friend used the Interact program to go to Thailand, and from there, oh man, she learned so much about, you know, how to handle kids. She told me about their dif difference in discipline. Uh, they actually use physical punishment. And she implemented using uh, exclusions, kind of like the timeout situation. And she got so much further with 
time out than she did with getting the stick and beating the kid. So the U.S. actually has the JET program. But again, it's like me. I never heard of the JET program until we started talking to Brian. Oh. So they didn't hear about it and they didn't know. So they're just like, huh. So whether they do their own research, that's their own thing. Right, but it's one of those that you just go, eh, I didn't know about this. Why wasn't I told about this? I'm all I'm all about building the roadmaps, basically. Yeah, and something that I kind of want our listeners to really take is don't take up these programs, don't go on these programs in hopes of copying, say, Brian in hopes of copying Gina in hopes of getting the exact same experiences because you're not going to get the same experiences and you're a different person forge your own path make your own experiences that suit you otherwise you're just going to be so disappointed well yeah like you said you know you're a different person but you're not going to get the same experiences that I've had those experiences they're literally once in a lifetime you might get something similar I can go to a corn maze and enjoy myself there, you know, trying to find my way through the corn maze here in North America. But, you know, you go to the corn maze next year, it's not going to be the same experience. That time has already passed, literally once in a lifetime. Don't go expecting that. You can try and imitate as much as you can. What I would recommend is make it your own. Own that. Find out your why. And by that, I mean, find out what drives you. Find out your why. Make sure that you're doing it because you want to, because it interests you. If it doesn't interest you, you're going to get fuck all out of it. Oh, yeah. Like, Carol, you had a different experience in Mexico with me than I did. We were in the same location, the same, you know you had a different interaction and different feeling about the locals than I had. So everyone has their own, except for when we dealt with the Grinch on Christmas. That was different. <laughs> yes. You're not going to be able to get the same experience as somebody else until we perfect our bionics technology. And, you know, you're able to record what you see through your own eyes and then upload that memory to a cloud for somebody else to download and experience. That is the only way you're going to get the same experiences that myself or Amy or Carol would. But the thing is, even if I even if I planted my brain into your body and went through all of this, you know, it still wouldn't be the same because I have my own preferences. I have my own life experiences. I have my own views on something. As Amy said, walking through, you know, the market in Mexico, she and I both, despite experiencing the same thing, still had a different feel of it. Well, even look at that chance when you went to go get ice cream. Yep. You had a language barrier. I knew a little bit about the language. So again, different experiences, right? Yeah. First of all, this conversation is taking a really weird turn. And second of all, what are you doing with my brain? Where are you putting it when you put your brain in my body? Oh, well then I'll just uh, put it in a jar of formalin. Oh my God. Are we just all going to put ourselves on mind drives now? <laughs> yeah, why not? Hey, it could be a good seller. I mean, talk about a break for your brain. I have serious issues with this. <laughs> Carol's the one that turned it this way. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. Carol just wants to take me out of the picture and murder me, that's all. Carol! Oh, I'll put your brain back once I'm done with your body. Oh, God, that was so creepy. Carol, has anybody ever told you you're a fucking weirdo? Yep. Oh, uh, yep, many times. <laughs> Daily, she gets told she's a weirdo. Yep, I know. <laughs> but I, I, get where, I get where Carol was coming from that of you know, placing her brain in your body kind of to try and see if she can assimilate the same experiences. And I continue to choose to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
hey, you brought me into this too, so... Yeah. Well, I took this saying from Kendo, where my uh, instructor said, if I were to somehow telepathically meld with you, put my brain into your body, you would still suck at Kendo. Uh, he said it in a much nicer manner. He's like, I cannot make you a Kendo master using my moves. You have to make your own moves. But again, that's a different experience, right? Mm-hmm. So where else do we want to go with this weird green wreck tonight? Hey, this is part of the fun, ain't it? <laughs> I mean, yes. Welcome to the discussion portions of the episode. We start out trying to talk about a topic and we don't always stick to it. And then we end up on really weird tangents and we don't quite know how we got there and somehow, again, get an episode out of it. So these are just our discussion portions. We always manage to come back around somehow. <laughs> I mean, we, we try. Forcefully sometimes. <laughs> The whole point of these discussion portions, so as you guys know, our episodes are done, our topics are done in normally two segments unless we have a lot of information. We have the, the interview se uh, segment and then we have the discussion episode as well. The whole point of the discussion episodes is to debrief and to come down and to rehash the information for better, uh, for better information assimilation so you guys can understand it a bit better. It kind of helps just to drive that whole, the whole learning process home for you. What is it they say? Repetitiveness is key or something like that? Something along those damn lines. Repetition is something. Repetition is key, but so is practice. Yeah. Yeah, practice your candle, Carol. <laughs> I already do. Hey, at least I'm not bruised this time. So where do we want to go next? <laughs> well, we really want to go down the rabbit holes, do we? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, let's see. I have in the notes, it's like, I think it kind of ties with their view on LGBTQ. I know he mentioned that, and that shocked me. Yeah. Well, not really shocked me, it surprised me, in a way. I do know he mentioned something about that. Like, that one, in a way, um, he mentioned, like, how he had a, he had a student that he felt was in the closet. Something that he also mentioned was the unwritten rule of don't ask, don't tell, which honestly I'm perfectly okay with, but I feel like for a country that has so much media about gay, about homosexual relationships, I'm, I was really surprised that they didn't really have that as a it's okay to be gay kind of thing. Well, you also have to understand that for the media that you're talking about, from, uh, let me just tap into the, anthropo the anthropologist in me here for a second. The media that you're talking about is only one facet of Japan. It's literally just, I want to say anime and manga, and it, it's part of a subculture. It doesn't permeate the entire culture. The entire culture, uh, so Japan itself, the culture of Japan itself, is primarily heterosexual. It's only when you start delving down into it that you start dealing with gender identity and sexual orientation and self-expression and those topics specifically with it's more prominent in the otaku communities or the weeaboo communities or the anime communities you know those those fan communities that have started exploring that but the culture itself is primarily heterosexual which is interesting because then you see some of those different animes that come out right 
whether it's from Japan or China, any Asian anime, right? You kind of think of, okay, but that's really ostracized. But is it really how they treat them? Well, you've got Sailor Moon for one. And I'm just going to preface this here. If the only Sailor Moon you have seen is the English dubbed version, North America butchered that. Go watch the actual Japanese release with the, with the English subtitles. There's so much more to that. I'm just going to get off that train now. And I'm going to say Japan is also the one that has developed the idea of of the salary man or the salary man and the good housewife. Um, the good housewife, you know, the woman stays at home. They cook dinner. They look after the household. The man is the one that goes out and earns the dough, whether that's farming, as I think we mentioned earlier, or whether that's going, in the case of the salary man, being a an office worker, which at one point was looked very much down on. Um, you go out to this, to this business and you sit there for hours and hours on end. You get your work done. And in a lot of cases, it's a lot of overtime but the bonus is that you bring home a lot of the you bring home a lot of the dough for the family so the wife doesn't have to go out and work it's very much a straight it's very much a straight uh, viewpoint of things which in that sense of okay so they have the theory of you know the wife stays at home great that's cool and all but then you have start to think with that thought of okay did that what was that what was brought over to us in like the 1930s 1940s the women stay home they cook they look after the house i need to go out and work right what would they think if the roles were reversed? Well, here's the thing. The idea of the good housewife and the salary man was around the turn of the century. I think it was the Edo period when Japan started opening their borders. When they were forced to open their borders, basically the U.S. sailed up to them and said, uh, oh, what was it? Open your borders. And Japan was like, no. They're like, open your borders or we're going to fight you. And Japan was like, okay. Um, the history of Japan on YouTube is a great example of that. It's absolutely ridiculous the way he does those videos. And I absolutely love the way he does those videos because it drives the points home. But around, uh, around the turn of the century, when Japan opened up and they started actually trying to imitate at one point western culture both because they wanted to uh, sort of and because it was forced upon them that's where the idea the idea of the good housewife didn't actually exist before the early 1900s right but it has become such an ingrained part of japanese culture and society that it's just it's a normal thing now but could you imagine what it'd be like if the roles were reversed for them the women went out and worked and the men stay home how many houses would crash then <laughs> just saying <laughs> We also have to look at the fact that a lot of the younger generations now in Japan have a lot more of a relaxed attitude. They're starting to soften the way that they look at things, and they're starting to be a little more open. Not as fast as Western culture, mind you, but they're getting there. Give them time. They're starting to question things. Like, the younger generations are known for being rebellious because they don't really have time to do that as a child. So when they get into the young adulthood, this is when the rebellious streak comes out, and they turn around, and they're like, they're starting to question all of these ideals and beliefs. Some of it sticks, some of it doesn't, and I think with each passing generation, we have a lot, we, we have these new ideas coming to the forefront and kind of asserting themselves, and they're slowly starting to change Japanese culture as a whole. It's like Brian said when he was talking, he had, uh, he had the, the young teacher versus the older teacher. The younger teacher was open to the ideas that were coming out and was open to experimenting and finding out what worked. You know, he was fresh out of school. He didn't have all programming in his head. And then he said he had the older guy. One of them just didn't want anything to do with any of these newfangled ideas. And then he also had an older teacher that was like, he, he kind of broke. And he was like, well, you know, my way is not really working properly. This is actually a really good idea. Maybe I should start looking at trying to integrate that. Right. Kind of went off on a rant and a tangent there, but... Honestly, it was useful. 
No, and it's a good point. It's a very good point because then that again, that's the old versus new, right? Yeah, and Japan hasn't always done well with change. They very much want to remain in the old ways. They want to keep the status quo. That is the whole thing about Japanese society is Japanese culture, rather, is keeping the status quo is not upsetting the cogs because if you upset the cogs, the whole machine is going to break down. Never mind if it's eventually going to be an improvement or not. You know, we're not getting into that whole can of worms. But they're very much rooted in the old ways in tradition and anything that challenges that tradition is seen as a threat again you look around the turn of the century and they fought even even during you know the last days of the quote-unquote samurai that was a huge thing for japan because the samurai were seen as i want to say guardians or maybe we've just romanticized them but they were a status symbol either way and they did not want to lose their way of life but when they started phasing out because new weapons were brought in and the samurai wouldn't be able to deal with that it was the there was a whole shebang about that. Wasn't their status like of honor? Yes, but here's the thing with the samurai. They were assholes. The samurai were downright assholes. Every culture has an asshole somehow. Mm-hmm. The samurai were also elitist. Their way was, it was either their way or the highway. There are a lot of contentious issues when it comes to samurai, but at the same time, they are seen as a status symbol. Today, they are seen as the height of honor. To to become a samurai, to attain the level of samurai or the imagery of a samurai is to evoke honor and discipline. That's what it has boiled down to. And that's where a lot of things within Japanese culture come from these days, is that honor and that discipline. Yes. And I think from what I remember, Brian was saying that they do have discipline ingrained in the cult, in the culture of education. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, that's another big thing that I found, you know, some of the students from maybe he's, I don't know, did he say he kept in contact with any of his students or teachers? I can't remember. I think he said he kept in touch with a colleague and then maybe a teacher or two. I can't rightly remember. Yeah, I can't remember. You know, and I can't remember if he said that, but to me, it almost kind of sounded like that maybe they own a little bit too much discipline and honor in their schooling and their grades that we should have incorporated that a little more here. Yeah. Mm hmm. Personally, I mean, I know I was always taught, go get your education, get, you know, get a good job. Again, coming from that background of my dad only had grade eight. So to speak. But yeah, you know, despite the fact that the samurai were elitist and they were assholes, that has since changed the idea or the ideal of them has kind of moved down through the, the the years and the decades and it's morphed into something a little positive. We romanticize, those of us that are like interested in Japanese culture, a lot of us romanticize samurai, despite the fact that they weren't exactly the best at the time, maybe. And I'm not saying that as a literally just fact of the matter by today's standards. They were, yeah, they were not exactly the best. Well, think of it, think too, Knights of the Round Table were romanticized. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of things that were romanticized and people don't really know. Knights Templar was romanticized. The Wild West in North America. Yep. Mm-hmm. Billy the Kid. The Wild West is completely romanticized and yet it was rough and tumble. It was politically incorrect. It was fucked up and it was not as dreamy as we see it. It was a rough life. Billy the Kid, Wyatt Earp, Jesse James, Bonnie and Clyde. Like I can I can sit here and I can pick out many, many names from North America that right along with that. Not not parallel with the idea of the samurai, but again, it gets the idea across. There are so many things to pick apart with Japanese culture, and I'm starting to understand why my professor said, you know, pick one aspect. There's a lot of shit to unpack. There's centuries to unpack. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah, without a doubt there is. And there's always going to be everywhere. You know, there's a lot of different cultures here that we have to unpack all the different eras. You know, we could sit here and compare everything that we wanted. And I don't think we'd ever figure anything out. I think there would be a lot of comparisons, a lot of differences, and a lot of similarities that we don't realize. So we've been through a lot of discussion tonight. And this has been a very heavy, uh, very heavy, heavy information episode and i know i've done a lot of talking you guys have like just kind of sat there and listened to me hey it's all good because you've been to hey you've been to japan right i i have a lot of experience with japan both from the viewpoint of being there as well as the academic perspective the amount of research that i've done on japan in the last years like i don't care if you have a phd in something i have an insane amount of knowledge in my noggin that is like it's just bursting to come out and this is why i started this podcast was to sit here and talk about things that we all have a vested interest in we all have a bunch of knowledge in whether or not we all have the same knowledge remains to be seen but we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses i know who i'm asking for a tour guide from japan gina I mean, you're more than welcome to. Although, Carol's been to Japan more than I have. I think both of us have. I think you and I have been there the equal amount of times, though. I've been there once. Yeah, but time frame-wise. Two and a half weeks, give or take. You have more on-the-ground experience. Like, you have more visits than I do. But we might have the same amount of on-the-ground experience. I come from an academic viewpoint where my knowledge is intellectual-based, which is a huge thing for me. But the idea here is not to overload people. It's to, again, impart that knowledge and kind of give an education and to help people understand different aspects of the world around them. We just happen to have a very much vested interest in Japan, which is why the focus of a lot of our episodes draws on experiences. Because, again, it goes back to that it's a completely different culture than what we have right they have higher expectations than we do and you know some of that stuff may need to come over here and we need to maybe think about incorporating that in our lives i know i'm probably gonna try and incorporate a little bit more wall in my life knowing what i know now yeah but it's hard to say yeah and every time you travel you do actually kind of find that you're incorporating incorporating a little bit of that culture into your life regardless of where you travel to i think it was mark twain that said travel kills prejudice or something to that effect travel all and i just want to add on to that you know and i just want to add on to that by saying travel automatically means that your mind is going to be opened to new things you're going to have new experiences that you wouldn't be able to experience and that you know when you travel you see things from a different perspective and you have a wider understanding of the world around you whether you want to or not the moment you decide to travel the moment you get out there and travel that is an inevitability your opinions are going to change the way you see things are going to change like it, it just it's a fact of life oh big time big time mm-hmm. you also have to be, be prepared to immerse yourself in their culture and learn their ways i think the the running thing that we always say is do your research yeah do your fucking research yeah and another quote that is relevant to to this as well is one from anthony bourdain whereas everywhere you travel it leaves marks on you yep it's sometimes painful, but it could also be very, very beautiful. That's paraphrasing it. Oh, big time. I am not the same person that I was before I started traveling. And travel has helped exponentially with understanding the world around me. You also have to approach travel with an open mind. 
oh yeah, you can't go in and say, this is what I want to experience and then have something blindside you and, you know, your plans then all of a sudden have to take a drastic change. Yeah. You can't go into another culture and expect them to conform to the way that you do things. You're the one that has to adapt because you are in foreign lands. That is not on the people that live there to adapt to you. It is up to you to blend in with them and to experience who they are. Yeah, in the end, each place has their system. It's not your system, but it's still a system. Oh, yeah. I guess with that being said, guys, we're going to bring this episode to a close. And for the listeners out there, I hope that you guys have enjoyed this. Thank you for sticking it around and kind of enjoying the experience with us and coming with us on this journey. It's been, uh, I, I said it a couple of episodes ago, you know, it's been a hell of a journey, guys. It's been a hell of a trek. We've come from a half-baked idea sitting in front of a microphones in a recording studio, first in a library and then at McEwen. And we now have like 20 some odd, almost 30 episodes. Like we're getting there and actually got something here. And I love you guys for it. You know, maybe we should also put the question out there of maybe there's a topic we don't know that maybe the listeners would like us to touch on. We do have an email. So if you guys go to uh, linktree slash breadcrumb trails podcast, you will actually get our email, which should be linked there. If you guys have any input, anything that you want to hear on the podcast, like send us an email. You also have the option on anchor.f on our anchor.fm website to leave voicemail for us if you would like to have your voice on the podcast if people call in and give us recordings we could theoretically do a Q&A episode for people we could you know answer people's we could play your recording live on the podcast and we could answer uh, like discuss your points of view or answer whatever questions you've got at least from the experiences that we have or we could bring people in to answer those I think that would be a really cool aspect to add to this as well. I think so too because I'm sure there's a lot of people and I'm just talking from my experience of, of having a husband that has immigrated to Canada you know we do have a couple people that have immigrated elsewhere you know maybe someone has some questions about that maybe someone has some questions about making Carol drool all the time or what are our experiences in you know delays whether it's flights or whether it's luggage how we've handled stress and how we've handled changes to our itineraries we're like we're like a year and a half two years somewhere around those lines and we haven't always been consistent with the episodes but we have always gotten the episodes out we've been doing this for a year and a half two years uh, carol and i have and amy you've only been with us a short while but let's open it to the audience let's see if any let, let's throw that hook out there and see if anybody wants to bring that to us to see if anybody wants to catch that line or you know leave us some information or some feedback or something like we're opening up to you guys what do you guys want we'd love to hear from you our listeners and see maybe there's something we need to look at that you guys are scared to do your own research but maybe you've done your research and you kind of want our point of views what we think of it or if you haven't done your research maybe there's something that we can help you with that is the whole point of this podcast is do your fucking research if you want us to help you do research, we could theoretically spend an entire episode talking about a topic. The other kicker is there is a certain tier on Patreon where if you are a Patreon subscriber for that tier, you also get the ability to help us plan podcast topics. Very much so. And I mean, we have a limited amount of people we can reach out to. Yeah. And that base with every episode, that base grows. We form connections and we network. 
the other thing is Patreon subscribers also get access to the podcast episodes two days early. Like you can listen to it before anybody else. If you guys enjoy the, if you guys enjoy the content, feel free to go so go check out our Patreon. Feel free to go support. Like it can only get better from here. And we're always learning. We're always, you know, I've learned a lot of things with the people we've talked about. Even as a listener, I learned before you guys brought me on as a host about different things. Definitely love the, you know, the conversation you guys had with Karen from Amsterdam. That one was really intriguing to me that I continue to go back and listen to and go, oh, I forgot. I didn't, I didn't hear that part before or I missed that before. Yep. These episodes definitely have re-listen value. If, you know, if you like a certain episode, go listen to it over and over again until it's burned into your brain. That's what we're here for. And there's always things that we can always expand our knowledge on and, you know, look into. The moment you stop learning is the moment you're dead. That is very, very true, actually. Whether that's uh, philosophical or literal remains to be seen. You could be dead knowledge-wise or brain-wise, or you could be physically dead. But being dead is the only way that you will stop learning. For all of you listeners out there, thank you for listening to the Breadcrumb Trails. I'm Amy. I'm Carol. And I'm Gina. We'll see you guys next time. Catch you out on the trails. Stay toasty, friends.